he really got me. You know, I think it's because he was gay. Got the nuances more. get me a gay mickey gotta get a gay well hello and welcome to another episode of in the details a celebration of nuance where each week i queen out on all the acting choices micro moments and magic in the minutiae that make a scene great my name is colin drucker your name is barbara bell gettys and today we are queening out on one of my favorite movies horror or otherwise 1974's the texas chainsaw massacre um it's kind of an outlier in terms of stuff that I'm into, at least on paper. You know, in general, I like um, – I'm more of a Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf or um, something involving Beatrice Strait, you know, maybe winning an Oscar in five minutes and two seconds of screen time. Who knows? Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre sounds a little aggressive, and uh, if you know if you know me – if you know me from my other podcast, if you know me from All Right, Mary – or have been a long time married, then you also know that, like, I'm not a real big fan of, like, on-screen violence. But when I was a kid, I was obsessed with horror movies. I don't really know why. I don't know what it is that drew me in. I mean, I guess I've talked about this in other episodes, like the Final Girls episode. Um, I think there was just something appealing about, uh, I, I mean, the, the fantasy of disappearing into a horror movie, like a genre movie, I think the appeal is, like, you're going into a whole different world in a way. Even if a horror movie is set very much in reality, there's just something very textured and very specific um, and a little operatic about horror movies, about the aesthetics of horror movies that still feels like an escape. And, I mean, my preference is a horror movie where it doesn't just end with everybody dying. And so you also were going on this story with a, with a beginning, middle, and end and a sense of catharsis and a sense of... Um, justice being served or strengths being found or you know fears overcome or whatever and so there's something enjoyable obviously about that like duh you know we've been watching movies for a while we we, we get why we watch them um and so i think as a kid i think that i don't know that escape was really exciting to me and i was always you know i was always interested in creating stories and um i started writing before i started watching horror movies and i was before I was writing, I was creating stories with action figures. And um, I think that was just like, it was just this natural progression. And um, of course my parents, like, you know, they weren't like, okay, yeah, sure. Like watch whatever you want. And so I kind of had to like tiptoe into watching horror movies. And I think around, I don't know, maybe around the age of 12, I think they finally started letting me <clears throat> pick out something from Blockbuster Video that wasn't, you know, in the action adventure or sci-fi aisle, you know? And I know that Texas Chainsaw Massacre was, um, was early in the horror movie, you know, uh, archiving that I was doing as a kid. Uh, I know that, like, Friday the 13th, I remember that was, like, one of the first ones I watched. There was this, I think the first horror movie, like, the first one that I, like, got from the horror movie aisle was not at all um, scary or even, I think, a horror movie. It was, like, a 1980 made-for-TV movie called The Babysitter. I think, and maybe William Shatner was in it. Like, I think I, I could look it up, but I remember sitting down to watch it and, like, thinking from the very first moment, like, oh, my God, you know, anything could happen. Like, you know, feeling like this, 
a horror movie means from like minute one, scary things are going to happen. And uh, that just did not pan out with the babysitter. But certainly Friday the 13th scared the bejesus out of me. I remember, you know, Jason jumping out of the lake in the end and grabbing Alice. I was just like, I had not been, I had not been gooped like that. I had that thing where I was like, it scared the hell out of me, but I got a real rush out of it too. And I could, I experienced that movies could do that and that horror movies, you know, when done well, can create a really awesome moment. And I think Texas Chainsaw Massacre, probably just because of the title, was always kind of in my periphery and probably from all of the, the websites that I was perusing, uh, the horror movie reviews that I was reading, just like the early archiving. Very early on was like, yep, this is something I want to see. I I don't know why I was, my parents uh, were divorced at that point and I was staying at my dad's that weekend and I could say I don't know why he let me rent it, but like, I know why, I, it, it's a whole other podcast, but in any event, the, the situation <laughs> worked out that I was able to walk out of the uh, West Coast video, I think that was what it was called, uh, with Texas Chainsaw Massacre and I think he watched it with me. I remember from the very beginning like that first sequence of like the van pulling up on the side of the road. I mean, after the like bizarre opening credits, but the van pulling up to the side of the road and them letting Franklin out to pee. Like I had that same feeling I had when watching the babysitter of like, oh my God, what if he rolls down there on the edge of the road in the middle of the afternoon with all these cars passing by and some guy with a chainsaw just comes out and I don't know what he's going to do, but if he's out there peeing, I can think of a few awful things he could do to you with a chainsaw, you know? Um, and and I it was just that again that feeling of like oh you know you're officially not safe for the next you know eighty minutes you know what I mean that night, um, my dad's bedroom was like one door over and he snored very loudly I was having nightmares hearing chainsaws which was just his snoring and so that woke me up and then I just like did not sleep that night but then the next day I remember like putting the VHS in again because this was like you know mid nineties. And watching, like, the last 20, 30 minutes again, like, just wanting to see it again. And, like, I just – there was so much about it that I was, I was drawn to. And once I got through that, like, initial kind of – you know, the first time you watch it, especially as a kid, like, the first time you watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre is, like, this boot camp experience. Like, it just – you come out of it a different person, you know? But then after that, I just – I didn't know what I was responding to, but – I was so interested in, in most of all, Sally. I was so interested in Marilyn Burns' character and her performance and what she endured in this movie. And I never saw it then or even now. I never saw it as I was watching this, this poor woman, both the actress and the character, like being exploited or being tortured or being um, abused. I was, I was so focused on like her will to live. You know, like this situation, it's not what she goes through. Certainly there's there's physical violence, but it's so much more mental, emotional violence. And that's something I love about this movie is that you you go into it thinking it's going to be this incredibly violent, um, bloody, you know, awful experience. And it it isn't. But you come out of it kind of feeling like you did go through that because it just puts you through the ringer emotionally and mentally. And I think that's so much of the quote unquote torture that Sally goes through. Like this isn't like a saw movie. There are definitely some awful moments and we will talk about them, but revisiting this movie again, I, 
I just like I hadn't watched it in a while and it was so impactful and I had forgotten how tense the movie is from the beginning in not just like that naive way that I felt as a kid, you know, thinking, oh, my God, anything could happen at any moment. Even as an adult and having seen this movie dozens of times, the tension I felt from the beginning, how well orchestrated this plot was, like how how this all happened randomly, but all of the puzzle pieces are put into place kind of meticulously. Watching that happen, like seeing how there probably wasn't a way to avoid this happening was like a whole new lens that I never really recognized. I think I always just focused on this random nightmare in the middle of nowhere, but as random as it feels, it's in some ways, and we'll talk about it this episode, there's something kind of predestined about all of this. And I think having that kind of iceberg under a movie like this, under a movie called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which in and of itself, you know, the title is, is, a, is a bait and switch because it's not a massacre. Only one person is killed with a chainsaw. The only on-screen violence that we really see explicitly and with a chainsaw is at the end when Leatherface drops the saw on his leg. You know what I mean? So, like, I love that it pulls you in with one expectation and then gives you something entirely different. I really saw it this time. Like, I really recognized how smart this movie is and how well-made it is and that despite its, ex you know, exploitation kind of style and... Um, the, the exploitation drag that it's wearing, it's it's an expertly made movie. And so that's what we are here to talk about today. I'm going to be discussing my 10 favorite nuances from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, which, you know, some of which I've summarized a little bit. Um, this, of course, obviously goes without saying is focusing just on the original. Um, I've seen the sequels. I've seen most of the I've seen the remake and then kind of like the more modern versions of it I don't really care I don't you know I don't care for the modern versions I just don't I think I think there's something about this that you really can't imitate and I think the sequel the original sequel from the 80s definitely took it in a different direction and a different a different tone and a different vibe and it's a weird movie um, I haven't seen the thing in full in a while but the ending of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is bananas it is so it, it it captures some of the same chaos that we see in texas chainsaw massacre but like at a whole different level and in a whole different way and it's really haunting and so if for anything you don't even really need context you know you can find the clip on youtube and i can post it on twitter um the last like five minutes of texas chainsaw massacre 2 and the and like the last note it are are bonkers and um, I love it. I just love it. Let's get right into it. So let we're um, I I will give you this little spoiler. The number one nuance is the one I'm like down to queen out about, but I think the rest of them we need to talk about first. So um, without further ado, let's start with let's start with number ten, which uh, I which I call the world is on fire uh, because the world of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the outer world that surrounds this incident, this thing that happens, is chaos. And I had never really picked this up before, that if you really listen to, you know, the radio in the van as they're pulling up to, as they're driving and, and um, when they get to the graveyard, all we're hearing about is just stories of just, like, murder and chaos and destruction and, and this sense of, like, almost, I don't know, like... Um, 
it feels unexplainable. It feels random. It feels like feverish. think creating that kind of bubble around this moment and we we get a little bit more of it later when Sally um, gets to the gas station during the chase scene and the radio is on uh, while she's sitting there waiting for the cook to pull the truck up um, and in particular the the nuance I love from that is we hear that at like you know midnight it's almost a hundred degrees out it's just like and and I think that is like reality because um without kind of diving off on too many tangents, like the, the film, the shooting of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the actual filming of it was incredibly grueling. And I fully believe that like, that could have been a real news report, that they just could have turned on the radio at that moment and it literally would have been 98 degrees out at, at midnight. There's something so localized about what happens in this movie. Like there's something, it, it all happens in the middle of nowhere where a few, you know, a few hundred yards away from the main road. You know what I mean? Like reality is just outside of this, but everything that happens within it, it feels like um, like it's on a, on a different planet. It's so remote. There's nobody else around. Like it just, none of it feels like reality. And that ties into my next favorite nuance, number nine, is that it's all in the stars. You know, that like what we hear in the beginning is Pam reading, she's talking about, Saturn going into retrograde. The condition of retrogradation is contrary or inharmonious to the regular direction of actual movement in the zodiac and is in that respect evil. Hence, when malefic planets are in retrograde and Saturn's malefic, okay, their malefice is increased. Have you been doing those Reader's Digest word tarot columns? Gary, it just means Saturn's a bad influence. It's just particularly a bad influence now because it's in retrograde. Hey, man, you believe all that stuff your old lady's talking to me? I don't know. And then later, she reads Franklin's horoscope and then Sally's horoscope. Hey, listen to Franklin's horoscope. Listen to Sally. Travel difficulties, long-range plans, upsetting persons around you could make this disturbing and unpredictable day. The events in the world are not doing much either to cheer one up. Love and I know I know it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a I don't know like a device, but the way that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is is filmed, that the very sort of documentary style that it has, 
it never feels too on the nose when we hear things like this. And so in particular, Sally's horoscope, um, that idea of like, there's just moments where you're just, you know, you can't believe this is really happening. I, I love that framework. I love that act one gun for what's about to happen. I think that's so scary that, that being in that moment, that it is so awful that you can, you can't even believe it's reality. You know, I think that's what a, what an interesting kind of perspective to give us going into this. You know, that was something that was new to me watching this again was, was that sense that all of this, regardless of any choices they made, they, they were never going to avoid this. Like this feeling that like this just had to happen, you know? So that, of course, then leads me to, as we're talking about Pam, is really kind of all five of them, Sally, Kirk, Jerry, Pam, and of course, Franklin, uh, the, the five hippies on their way, you know, uh, they're, they're stopping, obviously, at this graveyard because there's been reports that there's been grave robberies and they have their grandfather's buried there, so they want to make sure that his grave hasn't been disturbed. But they are so much more likable than I remember. They're not stock characters. I think what's interesting is this movie is making such a commentary on you know that basically by treating these characters like they're animals you know they're they're killed like animals they're hunted like animals they are kind of rep- representing uh treatment of animals you know what i mean all of this is such a commentary on uh the the slaughter industry the slaughter industry is that what, the meat industry the the meat industry though really like i think that misnomer is is more fitting here the slaughter industry um it's it's about there's all this this conversation early on uh both from Franklin and then with the hitchhiker about the slaughterhouses and how um, how the animals are butchered now versus how they used to be killed. And I think Franklin goes on some tangent about how they used to do it with the sledgehammers. And it was this whole thing. And, you know, we don't have to get into it. It's not my favorite part of this movie. But it's all there on purpose. It's all there to suggest that, like, look, it's not so inhumane because we do it this way now, you know? For these five people to basically be proxies for for cattle in this movie, they feel more real than I remembered them. I really like, I think it's not so much like finding out more about them. You know, there's little nuances. Like, we get the sense that that, uh, Kirk is kind of a more more of a dominating energy in the group and that Pam is kind of, she is a little bit more, she's into things like astrology and whatnot. Like, I think she is often the one bringing these sort of esoteric ideas to the conversation and I, I like the sense that Jerry's kind of a wisecracker and he's uh, a little sarcastic. And I like the way that Sally laughs at his jokes. And I like the way that she can make he can make her laugh. Um, these are It's like the way that they interact is so much more nuanced than I ever appreciated. And then, of course, there's Franklin, who I think a lot of people can't stand because he's, I mean... It's a great performance. Paul Pertain is gives such a phenomenal performance as Franklin, way better than I ever remembered or appreciated. The character is annoying, but he's, I don't know, I, he did not bother me as much this time. I think I appreciated his discomfort, you know? Like, I, I think he didn't want to be a burden on everybody, and he didn't ho- know how to not be. I think, you know, after the past few years of doing All Right, Mary, I see Franklin as the outcast. And, I mean, he literally, like, can't join them once they get to the house because he's in the wheelchair and they all run upstairs. I especially like Franklin when it's just just down to him and Sally at the van 
and you know obviously the other three are gone and there's this franklin is driving sally crazy but there's moments where i think he tries to like catch himself or he tries to like appeal to her and like tries to be reasonable they'll probably be back in a minute or so sally we ought to go to that gas station sally I think we ought to go. Are the keys in the van? Could I see the flashlight for a minute? What for? Franklin, let me see the flashlight. I'm going to go look for him. You don't have to go. Now, Sally, don't go. I don't think that's a good idea, Sally. I don't think you ought to go. Look, I'm going to honk the horn one more time. Just give me the flashlight. No, no, I'm... I'm going to honk the horn, and we're going to wait a minute, and then if they don't come, well, we'll go. All right? Sally, they took your keys. We don't have any keys. They took the keys. still a burden like there's nothing she she's gonna have to push him she's gonna have to take him into the woods and like it's just as she says at one point right before Leatherface shows up like this is just impossible and I don't know he just he didn't bother me and I I love I just I think I appreciated the the acting I appreciated the the work to create this character and also I mean you think about it like imagine like Franklin is so vulnerable. He's so helpless in the situation. And that is, that's also really scary in a way, you know? Now, number seven uh, of my top 10 favorite nuances is the cinematography. Now, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, one of its, you know, appeals is it's kind of like gritty aesthetic. And, and it, it almost looks like this, you know, this movie you found, you know, buried in the ground somewhere. It, it feels like something you shouldn't be watching, you know? And so that its grittiness is really part of uh, what makes it so scary. And so I, and in general, I, I am not excited by older movies getting like remastered and cleaned up and like looking, you know, pristine. Uh, maybe because I don't like, I'd just be watching it on my laptop. Like I don't have like a Blu-ray. I don't have like a huge, I, I have a decent sized TV. But like point being, like I just, it, it's never been a reason for me to like, watch a movie or like something that I would pay a little extra for or whatever. But I ended up downloading the 40th anniversary edition of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was all remastered and, um, you know, 
whatever glow up they gave Texas Chainsaw Massacre, even watching it just on my laptop, downloading it, like buying it on YouTube and watching it on my laptop, I I could not believe how beautiful this movie is. So, I mean, you, you can tell even in like older versions, like just some of the shots are just so well set up, like just these amazing tracking shots, like the shots of um, tracking along, uh, essentially like Pam walking up to the house to find Jerry, or I mean to find Kirk, or when Jerry is looking for them in the evening. Like there's so many, uh, there's so many amazing, like just the tracking shots. I just love Texas Chainsaw Massacre and its tracking shots. Like I feel like the, the way that it's filmed, again, is like this documentary style where if it's zooming in, it's not kind of trying to manipulate how you see what's happening. It's just focusing on something you might want to notice in this moment you know and i'm um, like i think for example of when they get sally to the house and that that moment when they bring the grandfather downstairs and and then they cut her finger so that he can i mean so that he can suck on it and i guess that brings him back to life we need to talk about that the way that like we get the close up of her finger getting cut i feel like it it feels like we are watching a, nat- a nature documentary and this is like a a close up of you know, just what's going on between animals, you know? Oh, oh, the other part I wanted to mention is just any of the shots filmed in the evening, you know, the with Sally and Franklin still at the van and Jerry looking for Pam and Kirk, like, in particular there, this movie is just stunning. I mean, I just, I can't recommend enough this version, if you're going to watch it again, to watch this version. Now, the other thing, number six, favorite nuance, is the sounds of the slaughterhouse that are the score of texas chainsaw massacre it's hardly a score it's hardly music it really actually is was it was designed to sound like what animals would hear in a slaughterhouse and i didn't know that until uh just kind of doing research recently but i think just on its own as an aesthetic choice to have just these just this banging and grinding and and um clanging and just this and and humming and buzzing this is the ambient noise of the um of the of the different reality that we're in you know what i mean like this is we are removed from reality and this is what it sounds like out here you know i think it is so unsettling i think if the movie had a traditional score it just wouldn't work it just wouldn't make sense it would then it would start to feel too much like a movie you know and i think that's part of why this movie is so unsettling is that like you know, unlike all of those other movies that tried to use that tagline of, like, just keep repeating to yourself, it's only a movie, it's only a movie, like, you really do kind of forget this is just, this was something that they filmed, this was something they, they, they said cut, and they stopped, and at some point they took a lunch break, um, though from the stories I've heard about the actual filming of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it, as I said before, was an incredibly grueling experience, um, they filmed it in order, and all of the scenes at the house, all of that, all of the sort of infamous dinner scene, I think that was like 30 hours straight of filming. And it was just awful in like a house full of dead carcasses and sweaty, un- unwashed people and, and dirty costumes and awful heat and bugs. It, like it was from everything I've heard, it. It's a movie in and of itself, the making of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And so I think like knowing that, well, how are you gonna how are you gonna put any other kind of music to this? So along with everything that we hear is what we see or what we don't see. And that is number five, the illusion of violence in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It is 
I think that's part of why I can rewatch it is because there, there just is so little actual on-screen violence. I guess Kirk's death is a little aggressive. You never see the hammer hitting his head, but it totally feels like you do. We will talk about it in a second, but I will say that the hammer and bucket scene is um, the closest I think. I, I think is, well, we'll get to it, but there is something incredibly violent about it. Um, and so obviously a lot of this was done to avoid, you know, an X rating at the time. Like they were trying to make sure they could get as wide a distribution as possible. And so the intention was not, oh, we wanted like, subvert people and like you know subvert their expectations like i don't think all of that intention was fully there but it was in some ways just this happy accident because i also think that if texas chainsaw massacre was actually as violent as we think it is if we actually were seeing that as much violence as we see in the sequels or the remakes like i just think what's so special about it or what's so interesting or so artful about it would be lost so my number four favorite nuance is the thoughtfulness behind the character of Leatherface. And I had never really appreciated this as much uh, as I had kind of doing research for this and watching it again, that Leatherface is not just this like evil monster. He's not kind of what he's been morphed into. And I know there's like lots of backstory that's talked about in you know the newer movies. And I, again, I don't really... I don't really care. You know, I think what what's implied in the first movie is really fascinating. I think the backstory of the family, it's never explicitly told, but the sense that I get is that this family worked at the slaughterhouses, but then once they switched from the old way of, of slaughtering with the sledgehammers and whatnot, and they used this air gun that they talk about with the hitchhiker, it replaced a lot of... Uh, workers like it just you know a lot of people were let go because they didn't you know whatever however slaughterhouses work they didn't need as many workers in any event I think this family got you know either put out of business or laid off or whatever and here they were in slaughterhouse country with no other way of making money they've got this gas station um, but like they're out of business and I I wonder it's like were they always did they always have a taste for human flesh or did that just become did necessity give way to that, you know? And I wonder if if Leatherface even ever worked there, you know, if he, or if he was always home, was he always the domestic? You know, we hear at one point the cook telling the hitchhiker, like, you're not supposed to leave him alone, you know, that he's, he really just kind of serves the family. Like, he prepares the food, he, I don't even think he's, he's even the one to, like, technically be the one to kill. Like, I think that he's the butcher, like, and I think in some ways for him to be out and about and, like, hunting them with his chainsaw was, like, not, that's not what he does. Like, in some ways, his reality had changed as well. And, you know, Gunnar Hansen, who plays Leatherface, like, had put a lot of backstory and thought into why Leatherface wears the masks, who he is behind the masks. It's really this idea that, like, there's nobody behind the mask, that his identity is tied up in the different masks that he wears and we see him wear the the one that he wears through earlier in the movie when he's hunting the first four and then we see kind of this like old lady mask that he puts on when they get back to the house because that's like when he's being this like domestic and preparing dinner and then we see this other like pretty girl mask um, that he wears you know with a suit because it's like this idea of like getting dressed up for dinner the idea that he's actually just this this animal you know, that he's just this simple animal and he's not calculated. And 
he's not even a hunter. He's a butcher. You know, I think that's, there's something, I mean, you know, we could talk about this movie in All Right Mary as a matreon because he is, he's such a queer, he's such an outcast and is misunderstood. And the fact that like he finds his identity through uh, masks of women, you know, that he kind of like does some gender bending, I think is really, is, is an interesting concept. And it never gets kind of highlighted. It never gets commented on. And I think that's actually really cool that it's just like, there's a lot about this situation that goes unexplained and that's part of the appeal as well. You know, these newer movies giving us all this backstory and all this explanation, like the, the mystery around all of this, the way that it can't be explained, the way that there is no like context is part of the appeal, you know? So all of this leads to, of course, my number three favorite nuance, which is really those last 30 minutes is from when Franklin unfortunately gets the saw to the bitter end to it, it's you know the pursuit of Sally this has been just nightmare fuel for me you know for the past 20 odd years there's so many elements of this chase scene and I love a good chase scene but there's so many elements of it that are that up the ante in ways that other movies just don't do I think when we see Sally getting caught in all those branches and her hair getting pulled I mean again most of what Marilyn Burns goes through as Sally, a lot of it ends up being real. You know, her getting slashed up by all those branches in the woods. That all really happened. A lot of the injuries that we see are real, you know. Um, I think it makes the catharsis greater when you know how much, how much reality there is, I should say, really, there is to this nightmare. So there's, there's the being chased through the woods and getting torn up by the brambles. There's that sequence when she gets to the house for the first time. And, you know, I, I, of course, she runs up the stairs, but it's like, I think it's because there's a light on, so I forgive it. And that moment where she goes in that room, and there is, like, the bodies of the grandfather and the grandmother. Now, they are dead. They are dead, dead, dead. And so, later on, when, when the grandfather's brought downstairs, like, there's now something supernatural happening in this movie that they can bring this guy back to life by sucking her blood they never address that it's never treated as anything other than just like the norm but i think that is some like freaky shit that this movie has some like undead shit in it that it just casually throws in there so fucked up so anyway once sally realizes they're dead oh and that little stuffed dog who I love the nuance of when she runs out of the room, the dog falls over. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it it does kind of like hint at like the very, very dark thread of black comedy in this movie. Um, but she runs out of the room, and then, of course, like Leatherface gets in the house, and she just like runs back up the stairs and dives out a second-story window. Now, Marilyn Burns did not actually jump out the window. They had a stunt double, um, but I, to me, I mean, like for Sally to be like, well, got to do what you got to do and she just like fucking dives out the window. I mean, I I I admire like again her will to live. And it does not look, I mean it looks like a painful fall. It like even if it is a stunt double and all that. It I always feel it when it happens, you know. And then of course she just has to keep running. And there's one moment I feel like there's this there's this point in the chase scene right before she like runs into the branch and falls she's almost not present anymore like she's just like 
it's just the, it's the stubborn will to live that's really dragging her along and that she's almost disassociated and she's just running blindly and I think when she hits the branch and I think her kind of coming back to consciousness after that is her coming back to consciousness after a few minutes like she lost consciousness long before she hit that branch you know and then I mean then she gets to the gas station and before that like the chase scene is so intense Leatherface is right behind her he is like a foot behind her and there is one shot of her just like hands on her ears she's running kind of towards the camera just screaming and Marilyn Burns the her screaming is just haunting like she just it is coming from such a guttural place it's really I mean we'll talk about her in a second uh we'll go further in the details on Marilyn Burns um then she gets that gas station and like you know you just want it to work out whenever I watch Carrie like the original Carrie I just wanted by the time she gets to the prom and everybody likes her and she's having a good time. I just want it to be over. I just want that to be the end. It's like, this is fine. Great. She got, she, she found somebody. It's over. This nightmare was long enough. But of course, the cook is not to be trusted. Uh, and then he attacks her with the broom. And she told the story. I saw an interview where apparently the actor Jim Sedow was uh, very reluctant to actually hit her, you know, and was just like being a gentleman. And they had to keep doing the take over and over of him, like, beating her up with the broom and you know toby hooper was like jim you gotta hit her and jim was like jim you know first name basis oh it's like beatrice straight so beatrice um and jim Cedow was like i i'm sorry i i'm not gonna hit a woman i'm not gonna do it and i think then marilyn burns said to him jim if you don't want to come back here again and do this scene tomorrow night just hit me for god's sake and <laughs> i mean like I guess it's like, I get it. I think I would have said the same thing, to be honest. And then, unfortunately, then he, like, he took her, he took, he took the direction and, like, gave her a black eye, you know, by accident. And so then, of course, you know, once he ties her up and takes her back to the house, that leads us to the infamous dinner scene, which I think if you haven't seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, I think the perception of what the dinner scene is 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 more gruesome that we're going to see like oh here's the bodies of her friends or like something some kind of awful reveal but it's it's all a little bit casual like it's just a normal night at their house except they have a guest and to me again like what is what is so haunting and so intense and violent in a way about this entire sequence is the the mental emotional torture that Sally is going through is just of her, you know, being bound up with that in that chair, that quote unquote armchair that has actual arms as the arms of the chair. Um, and I mean, the, the torture of her or the focus is, I think, of her losing her mind. Like we have those, those moments where she's just screaming and it's like zooming in on her eye and like those, those like intense cuts of her just like losing her mind and they're all laughing at her and I really think like in a way that we have not seen in other horror movies like there's just a focus on like what this does to you mentally you know the most unsettling part of Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the hammer scene it's I think it's like two and a half minutes from when they first decide all right it's you know we're just you know we're gonna have to kill you and we're going to let Grandpa do it. You know, he's this infamous, you know, slaughterhouse worker who could kill, 
I don't know, however many, you know, in however much time, like he was just, that's what he was known for of being really quick with the hammer. And so they're going to let him, I think the, what does the hitchhiker say? We're going to let him have you or some awful line like that. And then she like loses her shit from when that starts, from when they like untie her from the chair and bring her to the bucket to the incredibly cathartic escape. I think it's about two and a half minutes of uh, long. They drag Sally over to this big, you know, one of those big metal buckets, you know, and the hitchhiker has kind of got her arms behind her back and I think he's got like a knife at her throat and he's uh, sort of holding her over the bucket and it's very eerie to watch because you can see and like I totally believe that like, like I think at this point they were like 26 hours into filming and so I think they had all kind of gone a little bit crazy and I'm sure that nobody was being like abusive or awful but like when you see Edwin Neal as the hitchhiker, the way he kind of like puts his knee against her against her back as he's holding her there like it's very realistic you know like when you see that you see oh my god they they have her totally incapacitated you know and she talked about how i mean the hammer is of course they they use like this um foam like the rubber foam um rubberized foam or something like that as the actual hammerhead but they still use the sledgehammer handle and i think there was some like either very heavy steel or wood or whatever like point being it still made an impact and so the idea of course is that they're they're putting the hammer in the grandfather's hand to get him to hit her but he keeps dropping it because you know he's like 150 years old um he's not really alive and so he just keeps dropping the hammer and it keeps dropping in the bucket and i was going to play the sound behind me of talking about it while it happened but i it's so disturbing and i think in 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 like you know kind of not in the larger context of the movie. I just think on its own, it's even worse. You know, like you don't need to hear just a woman screaming over and over while while someone tries to hit her in the head with a hammer. You don't need to hear that. And I think out of context, that's just like such an awful thing to even think about. But in the context, like in the context of this movie, like it's remembering what is happening in this moment is they are doing an old-fashioned slaughterhouse killing of this animal. We are watching an animal be butchered. You know, and yet because it is a human being, because it is this this girl that we've grown attached to, we feel how awful it is and we feel how inhumane it is. And that's why that's why this is like that's why this is happening and why it's going on for two and a half minutes, because they talk about in the beginning of the movie that like sometimes it took a couple of swings like it wasn't like a one and done. And so now we're in this like exaggerated version of that where they are trying over and over to hit her and she is, Oh God, she is just screaming and screaming and it's echoing into the bucket and she's just like trying to fight away and the cook is laughing and the hitchhiker is like laughing. They're saying, get her grandpa, get her. And it's, like it just to watch it like it just goes on and on and like you just want it to fucking end and at one point they do get a little bit of a hit in and you see that they you know it's not it's 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 enough to like uh, it's enough to make them to leave a mark and it was real um it i think you know i think i saw in, in one of the extras you know in the, the cut footage I think we actually see that take and we see her kind of like roll away and then like put her hand against her head so that was like a real injury like so there's Marilyn Burns after 26 hours of screaming her head off in 100 degrees of heat everybody is just like probably ready to really kill her you know what I mean everyone's gone a little crazy and I think this is like what I think is so fascinating about this production is like, at what point did this get too real for all of them? You know what I mean? Like at what point did this drive them all a little crazy? 
and so then eventually like you know the, the grandpa just keeps dropping it and the hitchhikers let me like he's like let me do it let me do it i'll do it and he lets go of her and that's when she just like flailing her arms and screaming and this is catharsis this is such a release of her just and, and the sound design all of it is just in, uh, encouraging it of her just like screaming and throwing them off of her and getting up and running and diving out the window um, and I believe it's the same window that Leatherface sits next to after he kills, I think, Jerry. And there, there's just, there's a window that he goes to that he looks for, he's, that he's like paranoid and like looking to see if anyone else is out there. Or then he like eventually sits next to it and he's like very dismayed by like what's going on. And it's like, why are these, like, these animals in my house? Um, and I think that's the same window that she then dives out of, which I just think is a cool nuance. And what I love is when she dives out that window and, and she, you know, lands on, you know, the, 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 the dirt driveway and it's morning, you know, like when we got to this house, it was like the middle of the night and now it's early morning. And, you know, this movie, this movie, I think in terms of scary shit happening in the middle of the day is like the quintessential example, I think does it so well. There's no music, which I think is really cool. The sound kind of drops out and there's this great shot of like Sally on her hands and knees, like looking around, just like, holy shit, holy fuck, what just happened? Like, oh my God, I, I need to run. Like, it just, it's Marilyn Burns. I mean, we'll talk about her in a second, uh, because we're now getting into my second favorite nuance of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is the ending. The ending of Texas Chainsaw Massacre is amazing. It is so, you know, the first time I saw it, and I think for a while I thought some of it was a bit random or convenient, but watching it again now, I really see kind of, or I have an interpretation of it that I really enjoy, um, that I've, I've landed on for myself, you know? And so I love, you know, as Sally is escaping the house, there's no music. The sound does kind of just drop out, and we're really just kind of hearing her and then we're hearing the door open, we're hearing the hitchhiker come out after her, and we're hearing her kind of, she's not even screaming anymore. It, it's like, Sally has, she is, she's lost it. Like she is, this is, at this point, this is just fully that concept of the stubborn will to live. Um, because, you know, she's just like, she, I mean, she's barely running. She's, she's staggering away, and the hitchhiker's behind her. He's like grabbing her and just like slashing at her. And I really feel at this point, even though that is so violent and so like, it's so unbearable the way he just keeps slashing at her and you're like, oh, oh my God, oh my God, like it just keeps happening. Um, it, the way that I see it, like the empowering way that I see it is like Sally at this point is like, you are going to have to take me down in my tracks. Like you, I am not going to stop trying to get the hell out of this until I physically can no longer do it. I am just going to keep running. And I, that's how I see this is like, she just is, she refuses to quit. She refuses to give up, you know? And so then she, they get out onto the road and, and that's where we really have this realization that like, oh my God, like, Reality is is right here. And I think then the arrival of Black Maria, the pickup truck, that, or the, I mean, the, 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 the 18 wheeler, uh, it, you know, the name on the side of the truck is Black Maria. And I, to me, it's just it's just this truck driver who is doing, you know, his route. He's driving wherever he's going. It looks like he actually would be or is transporting livestock. It's some kind of 
animal rig at the back. So I think that's I think that's an interesting confrontation that then he shows up and then of course runs over the hitchhiker. Thank God. And uh, then we get that there's this like jarring close up of Sally after the hitchhiker gets run over, covered in blood and just like she doesn't even scream. It's just like oh God. Like she's just it we're just <laughs> we're just like it's just this crazy reaction of like okay well that happened um and so she runs around the truck and the truck driver you know gets her into the truck and i don't you know even though even though leatherface is like you know kind of sawing at the door um i think that they could have pulled away i think that he could have just locked the door closed the window and just driven away and i think that would have been fine but instead and i don't know why and i don't know if i even care because some things you just forgive now the question remains whatever happens to this driver because he just runs away and then the pickup truck shows up and sally flags him down and to me i mean you could see this as like a deus ex machina but i just see this as like nope this is just the morning commute on this country road and the pickup truck stops and you know spins around and and waits for Sally to get in and this is some like tense shit because Leatherface is limping towards her and she's just trying to get into this truck and I mean I remember the first time watching this like I don't think I breathed at all because I was like the stakes were so high no pun intended stakes beef cows you know whatever um the stakes were so high and like so much had happened and I just felt like you have to get out of this you can't have gone through all this and not get away and she falls into the bed of the truck and, and is screaming, go, go, and, and the truck drives away. And it almost looks like, when she, when she falls into the truck, it almost looks like, like Leatherface swings the chainsaw and like maybe just misses her. Like it just, I'm so glad it wasn't that he actually like would have killed her at that point. That would have been such a fucking bummer. But then the truck drives away and I just, I mean, Sally is just screaming and laughing and like she has lost her marbles you know that the the tagline of the movie is who will survive and what will be left of them and i think we we might think like oh what what's left of them physically you know what i mean we think of them just like chopped up but with sally it's like there's so little left of her and i think that's I I appreciate the emotional intelligence of like yeah this is gonna drive you insane and um you know I'm and and yet it's like and yet she still survived you know it's not a happy ending and that she's like phew I'm safe and now the pickup truck driver and I are lovers you know what I mean like it's nothing like that it's it's somewhere in between a happy and a sad ending you know and then of course it really ends with with Leatherface doing that chainsaw dance swinging the chainsaw around in frustration um and i had read that like gunner hansen at, at that point like he had to kind of express the frustration somehow and he decided to just start swinging the chainsaw around because he was so like like angry with and frustrated with toby hooper and just like how they'd all been treated and like how rough the the shoot had been that he like wanted to be a little um a little dangerous in the moment a little unpredictable and um, I saw one cut scene or, you know, one of the extra clips where he I see him like throwing the chainsaw in the end into like a the ditch on the side of the road, which is just you know, great. And it really felt like, OK, he Gunnar Hansen is done. He's fucking done. Um, but the way the movie ends, it's, you know, we're watching him do this like mad dance. And then it just like 
it cuts off right in the middle. Like the shot is not a final shot. The moment is not a complete moment. It's in the middle of him swinging it. It is so random. And, and then it just like cuts to black. And there's no music until the credits roll and we get that, that crazy, you know, slaughterhouse sound. I, I love when movies like end like this. I love when movies end abruptly. But what I love about this is the abruptness suggests so many fascinating loose ends. I mean, Sally, I mean, okay, so she got away. And there's no dumb twist in the end where the pickup truck driver is part of the family. He's not the cook, you know what I mean? It's none of that bullshit, which this movie did not need. She's just been randomly carried out of this moment, you know? But then it's like you think about what happens now that she's escaped and, you know, the hitchhiker is dead and he was his brother's keeper, really. And so Leatherface is going to go have to go back into that house and tell the cook, you know, tell him in whatever way that he can express himself that she got away and that his brother is dead. And I think that is... I mean, I know, like, again, there's, like, there's a a more recent uh, sequel or prequel or whatever that was made that kind of picks up right when the first movie ends. And I I think I saw a little of it. I think it it's it's very different. It's not the way that I picture it. Um, and I, I don't really think about those when I ask these questions of, like, what happens next because I'm just thinking about the world that was created in the 1974 movie and all of the questions that were left behind and I just think that's um, that's so it, it's so in line. I think with how sort of documentary style this is is that there really is no ending. There's no end to a documentary. It just that's when it stops tracking this person's life. That's when it stops telling this story of what happened. And I think that's kind of how Texas Chainsaw Massacre feels at the end. Is like this is just as much as it was documented. You know. And that, of course, brings me to my number one favorite nuance of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. No surprise, I've been hinting at it all episode. Um, that is, of course, Marilyn Burns as Sally. I just, I, I think that is honestly what drew me in the first time I saw it to watch it again. I think that's what's always had its hooks in me is Marilyn Burns' performance. Because even earlier in the movie, even before like all the shit goes down, like there, there is something very sort of natural and charming and and. Uh, likable about her but not in a way that gets highlighted as like okay this is your final girl like I think about Lori from Halloween or I think about all of the like final girls from all the different Friday the 13th movies or all of the you know even the other ones um, you know that we talked about like the four forgotten final girls like they feel like characters that we're watching whereas Sally feels like a real person that we're watching go through this like I think what's so I think one of the things that's so disturbing about Texas Chainsaw Massacre is how realistic Marilyn Burns is his portrayal of terror is and how how extreme it is and how um uncomfortable it is and how ugly it is marilyn burns i think will always be my favorite final girl because i have these little like unspoken rules about horror movies that i've always had um you know had for the past like 20 something years but since i started watching them there's little like parameters and i really like a horror movie that like where the the final girl really kind of like goes through a journey and and earns that win at the end like i love seeing i love the sense of endurance i love the sense of like a long chase scene and like figuring out like you know how are you gonna get out of this little pickle you know what i mean like how are you gonna keep going um 
I've always enjoyed that. I've always been excited by movies. If I read like, oh yeah, it has like this extended chase scene towards the end, like immediately I want to see it. And so I think that Texas Chainsaw Massacre like set a standard for like a scary fucking chase scene and for really like putting a final girl through the ringer and thus us through the ringer. You know what I mean? Like the final girl is our proxy. And I think that Sally is so much our proxy for this experience. And that's probably what I love about her the most is that the what she goes through in this movie emotionally and mentally um, is so relatable <laughs> in a way that I am so – I can't help but think about myself in this situation. And that just scares the bejesus out of me. And so that, my friends, is a total queen out on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and – just, I mean, I could go on and on about this movie. I could dive in deep on every scene. I, it's one of those movies that, honestly, I could really watch a couple times a year and find something new. Uh, it's a rough watch. It is definitely, like, again, like, watching it again recently, it really, like, knocked it knocked the cookies out of me. And it was, like, it kind of made me a little emotional at points. Like, it was very, like, the hammer scene really, like, shook me. And I, I appreciated that i was i was impressed by that so um i can't recommend this movie enough i especially if you are just into film and filmmaking and um the especially american cinema um i'd love to hear your thoughts on the texas chainsaw massacre or other movies that um you feel have a similar effect and a similar impact you can drop me an email at in the details pod at gmail.com um you could also uh, find me on twitter at colin drucker and you could always head over to iTunes and you could leave me a, ugh, I hope, five-star rating and hopefully a positive review. I have nightmares of opening iTunes and discovering the opposite. So um, let's not have those nightmares come true, please. I beg of you. Next week or the next episode, because my schedule is a little off, so you're probably going to get the next episode pretty quickly, is going to be cleaning out on the you know, one of the ultimate final girls and icons of the horror genre, really a final woman that is Jamie Lee Curtis. And I'm going to be especially talking about her starring role in the recent Halloween sequel. So um, look forward to that. I am, I cannot wait to talk about it. I can't wait to talk about her. I can't, I can't wait. I just can't wait. But anyway, thank you so much for joining me this week for this deep dive into the details of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and all of the acting choices micro moments and nuances talk to you next week bye